Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Exodus 20. We're starting a new series tonight on the Ten Commandments. Everyone say Ten Commandments. Oh, Ten Commandments. Now here's the deal. I can say without a shadow of a doubt, if I was in ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade or homeschooled or whatever else options we have in here, if my youth pastor had walked in and said, hey, we're going to do a series on the Ten Commandments in high school as a follower of Christ, I would have rolled my eyes and been like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I, I would not have wanted to do it. So if, 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 if you hear the word Ten Commandments and there, there, there begins to be like this rising in your soul of like, oh, there's something about this that I just don't like. Something about this that I just don't like. And there, there are several reasons why people don't like talking about the Ten Commandments. Okay, number one, it's in the Old Testament. And people are like, I don't like talking about the Old Testament. Like, like that was kind of the old stuff. Like we're in the New Testament now, Pastor. Like we're under grace. And it's like, and I would look at you and just say, I love you. You're an idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so harsh. I wouldn't call you an idiot. But I'd say I love you. The Old Testament is the word of God. Word of God. And so here's the thing. Apart from this, we don't understand the New Testament. Are you with me? Apart from engaging with what God did with his people in the Old Testament, we do not see how our story today is informed. Okay, now the, the other reason why people have a problem with the Old Testament is because, or, or with the Ten Commandments, is because like this is where we start getting in like those do's and don'ts of Christianity, right? So here, here's the area that nobody has fun with, like rules. Why? Because rules restrict our fun. Nobody likes rules. No eight-year-old likes going to bed at eight o'clock at night. Because it's prohibiting their fun. No three-year-old likes, likes being limited on how much candy they can eat. My wife who is 23 hates being limited on how much candy she can eat. Because it just limits the fun. Like... Like, a child hates being yelled at when they're running across the street without looking left and right because that's less fun. <laughs> I, sat, I sat with a high school student who told me for a game, him and his friends went out to I-25. I know. If you do this, I will look at you and say you're an idiot and not apologize. And like, we're running back and forth for a game like that like old school game Leapfrog. We like jump through the traffic as a frog. He's an idiot. Like, don't, like, but for him and his friend's mind, it was fun. Like, like, when, when we begin to talk about rules, like, like, I, I remember in junior high, when, when you got a test back, I got a test back in math, and if you got a C or lower, you had to bring it home from mom and dad to sign. And bring it back because the rule was they needed to be aware that you weren't doing well. So all the smart-witted, good, like, handwriting kids just took it to the hallway and signed it themselves. Forging their parents' signature, you know, bringing it back. Like, here you go. Nobody likes rules. Rules can be such, like, a killjoy. And we start talking about the Ten Commandments. And this is where a lot of people get like, oh, this is why I can't, like, stay in Christianity. As we start talking about all the things that we can't do. We start talking about all the, all the areas of our life that like God puts restrictions on. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, this fun space where we get to come and see a cool guy in skinny jeans sing songs that sound really good. And play four square all of a sudden becomes this place that like just doesn't feel free. Because now we're talking about rules. Or maybe you sit in a, in a camp tonight where it's like, you don't like talking about the Ten Commandments because... In your past or as you've grown up in the church, this, this topic kind of is an area of like, like legalism that begins to rise in you. Where almost you, you, begin, you begin to be taught that, that the Ten Commandments were almost like the job description for you to earn your wages of salvation. 
And so you start, you start, you hear the Ten Commandments and, and your mind goes to this place of these are all the things that I need to do to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And you, you begin to like feel this rising of like, ugh. Christianity is like all fun when it's like grace. When we start talking about like do's and don'ts and like what I need to be doing, it becomes uncomfortable and I don't like it. And this is why a lot of people walk away from their faith. It's because that is their understanding of the Ten Commandments. And maybe you don't like the Ten Commandments tonight because you've seen them predominantly used as leverage to make you feel like an idiot. Not told by me, just to be clear. <laughs> right? But you, you have a moment where you're, you encounter people who feel really confident in their faith, really strong in their works, really strong and confident in their own righteousness, and they've belittled you. And so in comparison to them, you just feel completely insignificant. Compared to them, you're like, like, and before I became a follower of Christ, like I did all of the worst of the worst things. Or you're sitting here tonight and you've been in the church and supposedly following Christ your whole life. And yet you have a completely hidden life that nobody knows about that's in complete contradiction to so many of these things. And so when we, we begin to talk about the Ten Commandments, you begin to be reminded how insignificant you are. How weak you are. How fragile you are. What a sinner you are. And I want to tell you tonight before we start that you're in good company. You're in good company. Because every person in this room is that person. We begin to talk about, about the character and nature of God in his law. And the only thing that we can see of ourselves in this process is how insignificant and weak we are. You with me tonight? So I want you, I, I want to take some of that baggage and I want you to throw it off right out the gate. That this fear of like, oh my gosh, he's about to call out that. I've basically done nine out of the ten. I mean, I haven't murdered, but I've been close. But everything else is like, I've, <laughs> I've already broken it. And you're starting to go like, oh man, like this youth group just became really uncomfortable. You're in good company tonight. You're in good company with me because I'm right there with you. Right there with it. The other side that I want to tell you tonight is if you're, if you're someone who is like, man, this is the area you, where you feel like confident in your faith. Or, or, or you're going, you know what, like, Pastor, I thought in the New Testament, like, believers are under grace. They're not under the law. Like, this makes no sense to me. To which I would tell you, you're absolutely right. You're quoting the book of Romans to where the Apostle Paul does say that Christ has fulfilled the law. We are no longer under the weight of the law. We are no longer under the weight of the Ten Commandments or the Mosaic Law that we get in the Torah or the Pentateuch, however you want to say it. We're no longer under it. We are under grace. But for you to tell me that in response to this does tell me something, that you have a misinterpretation or a misunderstanding of what grace is. Dallas Willard, he's a theologian of the, the, the 20th century. He's made some, written some incredible books. He said this. Can we put this quote up on screen? Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace is not sitting on a sideline on a beach with a pina colada saying all has been made well. I don't have to do a thing. Grace is not your get out of hell free card. You with me tonight? We start, we start playing the faith game like it's Monopoly. It's not the faith thing. It's not Monopoly, okay? No. Grace is not a post-effort. In other words, what Dallas Willard is saying is here is, look, grace has responsibility. Grace loves God and loves people. And to love God and to love people is work. It is not work that is necessary for faith, but it is a faith that is characterized by works. Are you with me? To live in grace means that your life is being transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. Which means that we don't take this mentality of, okay, I'm under grace, so I just kind of do whatever until the day I die. No. That's cheap grace. That's pathetic grace. That's false grace. Grace is loving God and loving people with everything you have till the day that you die. Are you with me? 
So I want to set that context before we enter into the Ten Commandments. Because we're going to talk about these. And if we don't put them in their place, if we don't have an understanding of them, and I'm going to go over that in just a minute, this can discourage us right out the gate. This can, this can make us roll our eyes right out the gate. And we just kind of go like, I don't want to talk about it. This was like Sunday school, like ten years ago. It's like, no, there's more to it than that. Well, I'm explaining it in a second. Exodus 20. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to knock out the first two commandments tonight. This is what it says. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We welcome your presence here tonight. God, you are holy. You are holy. I pray right now against the fear of condemnation, the weight of guilt and shame in this room. I pray against the spirit that is rising that feels we have to work to earn your love. Lord, I pray for free minds, free hearts, ready to receive from you. From you. God, I pray that you would show us over the next seven, eight weeks that you are holy. You're holy. You're holy. Lord, I pray that as we enter in to your word, we enter into the holy scriptures. Lord, I, the team, would not seek to add anything. But we'd understand that your word is enough. It's enough. So scripture, would you take authority here this evening and would you speak to us? Would you have your way in us? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak. You would speak. And in your speaking, you would give us ears to hear your voice. Minds to understand you. Eyes to see you hearts to believe. So would you come, would you have your way in this time. And if you're still with me, say amen. Amen. All right, before I start breaking down these two commandments that we get here, one being you shall have no other gods before me and two, you shall not make for yourself any idols. I want to give context for the moment in which these commandments are given. Okay, if you've not grown up in church or even if you've grown up in church and you don't have a lot of, of biblical understanding of what's taking place right now, let me catch you up real quick, okay. We have from Genesis, God creating everything, the world falling into chaos through man, mankind's and, and womankind's disobedience, humanity's disobedience and we have a sin fractured universe. And yet in the midst of this brokenness we have a plan for redemption Set in, set in stone by God, initiated from God to his creation. And so we begin to walk through the book of Genesis. And a lot of crazy, weird, funky things happen in the book of Genesis. But one of the characters that we see come on the stage in Genesis is a man named at first Abram. And in this moment we see that God looks down upon Abraham, Abram and he chooses to bless Abram and make a covenant with him. And he says, okay, look, I know you're old. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you and your barren wife a promise that you're going to have a son. And this son, okay, through this son and through this line, there's going to be a blessing that is going to come to all of humanity. 
that's going to bless the nations. He's talking about the person of Jesus Christ. Now you have a Abram and his wife Sarai or Sarah that we call her. And they're going, you're out of your mind. We're like 90 years old. Can you imagine having a baby at 90 years old? Don't try to imagine it. It's gross. Okay. But nonetheless, we see that God fulfills his promise and they have a son named Isaac. And it's through this line that God says, okay, no, look, I'm, I'm going to bless your people. I'm going to bless this nation. And from Isaac, we have Jacob. And we have Jacob who's renamed to Israel. Okay, and this is where the nation of Israel comes from. So then you have, you have, you have Jacob and his house or Israel and his house and he's got sons. And then if any of you have seen like um, uh, Joseph, king of dreams, okay, the kind of like off-brand prince of Egypt, okay. You have, this, you have this moment where you know the story. He's got, Jacob's got all these sons, the youngest of which like they love at the time. Yet they haven't had Benjamin yet. And so his brothers take him and they sell him into slavery and he goes to Egypt. And he's a slave in Egypt and he's in prison in Egypt. But God was faithful. And God saw Joseph. And so he takes Joseph and takes him from a position of slavery and raises him up to second in command in Egypt. Okay, and what we have here is a moment where uh, Joseph was able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams that, hey, there are going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine coming. And so in the seven years of plenty, we're going to have to store up everything that we have and save for the seven years of famine. So what we see comes to pass. There's seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And in the seven years of famine, you have everybody coming from all over to Egypt to find a way to preserve their life because they have no food. Of which is Joseph's brothers. The children of Jacob are the children of Israel. So they come in, they, they do not recognize their brother, but then over this long course story, we can talk about it sometime over coffee. They get to know each other, they love one another, it's all good. And Joseph brings his family to Egypt and the house of Israel is preserved. 400 years goes by. Of this nation Israel living in Egypt and growing. Growing. And they become a mighty nation. Such a mighty nation in fact that the new Pharaoh realizes that this people has grown. And that it is, it is a threat to his dictatorship. So he puts all of this nation into slavery. And so we have the entire nation of Israel in slavery in this moment. No idea what is going on. There's, there's vague understanding of the promise that was given to Abraham. But they're still in this place. And so they begin to just cry out because they're being oppressed. Enter the prince of Egypt, Moses. Right? So in this moment we see God utilize his servant Moses where he hears the cries of his people. And he remembered his covenant to Abraham. And so we have, we have this moment where God utilizes Moses, brings him in. And he delivers the nation of Israel out of oppression, out of Egypt, which where we see taking place here in Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who has delivered you out of Egypt and out of slavery. And they are, they are, they are entering into the wilderness at this point. So I need you to notice this. Before the nation of Israel was, was uh, well, no, no, after, sorry, after the nation of Israel was saved is when we have this moment taking place. God had already decided to save this people and he already saved this people before he gave him the Ten Commandments. Are you with me tonight? Okay, so we have them in the wilderness, okay, figuring out, okay, what does it now mean to be the nation of Israel? And this is where we enter into Exodus, where God says, okay, now look, I have delivered you out of Egypt. I have delivered you out of slavery. Here's the deal. I am going to be your God and you are going to be my people. I am going to be your God and you are going to be my people. And so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be my people. And this is where we are given the Ten Commandments. I want you to notice this. This is so important because this is where we begin to get the law mixed up. This is where when you start hearing the logic of, no, you got to do these things to be saved. You can look back at the story of Israel and go, no, that's not true. God chose to save this people long before they lived like him. Are you with me? God chose to save this people and call them his own. More than that, he chose to pledge himself to these people long before he showed them or told them what it means to be his people. Look at me here tonight. 
when you have faith in Jesus Christ, okay, when you have faith in Jesus Christ, this is what brings about salvation in your life. Not a bunch of good works. Not fulfilling these commandments. Before the foundation of the world, God looked down upon Israel and has looked down upon his believers in the here and now and chose to save them long before he knew we would have affection towards him. Are you with me here this evening? So the logic to say, no, 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 you have to fill the Ten Commandments before God will save you. You can be like, nah, look at the Old Testament. That's a lie. God chose to save his people before he showed them what it mean, meant to be his people. Are you with me tonight? Now this is so, so, so important to catch. Because the second we flip this, we've twisted the gospel. The second you, you begin to talk about what does it mean to be God's people as a means to be God's people, you've missed the gospel. You've missed it. We talk about the Ten Commandments. We talk about tonight, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What, what God is saying is, look, I am your God. I saved you. I came after you. I pursued you. You are in freedom and out of bondage right now for one reason and one reason alone. I was faithful. And you have to see that. We have to see salvation that way. You know why? Because that's the only way that it's good news. It's the only way that it's good news. If we sit here and we try to meddle through the, well, no, no, no. I, I, like, I, I, have to, I had something to do with that. Like I, I did a couple things first. You know, like, God, I went to church seven times, you know, and I made good friends and I read my Bible. And then it like, it's like, no, no, no. He chose to save you when you were an idiot. <laughs> and even though at times you might continue to still be an idiot, he chose to save you. You walk with Jesus and you have faith in Christ for one reason. God's faithful. And he wanted you to have that faith in him. He wanted you. To be his own. And this is important for us to see. He chose and he pledged himself to Israel before they made the move into, to quote, being his people, living like his people. Are you with me tonight? So then we can, then we can begin to understand and address the Ten Commandments. Now one thing that I want to note about the Ten Commandments is when we talk about this, we are talking about the holiness of God, not you. Are you with me? Talking about the holiness of God. As I just said, and we see this in Matthew 5 through 7 when Jesus begins to go through the Sermon on the Mount and he starts taking all of this to the next level. We all fall short in this. Every person in this room has fallen short. And one of the things that we're going to talk about in the next seven weeks, but pretty much all the things that we're about to talk about in the next seven weeks, we've fallen short. Fallen short. But we get to look at this and we go through this why because we get to see God's holiness from it. Why? How do we know that? Because Christ was the fulfillment of this. Jesus was the perfection of this. And we have to see that. that this, this is about you looking and seeing Jesus more beautifully, more intimately over the next seven weeks. Are you with me? This is not about you getting your life in order. Though that will be a product of seeing Jesus, this is about you looking at the holiness of God and letting the holiness of God through faith in Jesus Christ transform your life. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, we're going to see two separate things. The first four commandments have to do with the individual's relationship to God. The first four have, have to do with the individual's relationship to God. We're going to talk about two of them tonight. And the, the, the remaining six have to do with the individual's relationship to people, to your engagement with family, friends, your community of faith, the world. With God, with people. Are you with me tonight? We all on the same page? First commandment, we're going to break it down real quick. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me, okay. During this time in the ancient Near East, okay, what you have is the predominant like Per, per, pertaining reality for almost all people groups is that they're polytheists. Let me explain that. They worship more than one God. Okay? So you have, you have, you have Israel who's come out of Egypt 
And, and Egypt is one of the most predominant people groups known for this, that you have a God for almost anything. So you have a God of the weather. You have a God of the sun, the moon, the sky, the stars. You have a God of fertility. You have a God of health. You have a God of the harvest. You have a God of food. You have a God of water. And so what you have is, is them coming out of a culture where the norm is, hey, if we need, if, if, if we need a harvest to come, we're going to pray to this God. And, and if, we, if we have a, a desire for rain to fall, we're going to pray to this God. Etc., etc., etc. And so we have the first time on the scene, God entering in and he's saying, look, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the only one. I am the only one. I am, I am pledging myself faithful to you. So as a result, what I'm asking you to do is pledge yourself faithful to me. Are you with me tonight? Four and a half years ago, I stood on an altar waiting for my beautiful bride to walk down the aisle. I'll never forget this day because I was sobbing like an idiot. I've said idiot like 17 times tonight. I love it. And I'll never forget this day. Like, like standing and, and I'm, if, if you know me really well, you know that I'm blind as a bat. And we had a really long chapel. And the doors open for like my wife to walk in. And in all honesty, she's a total blur. But I'm like, I'd see a white blur over there. So like I know, she, I know she's coming. One of the most special days of my life to this day. Because I won't forget when she got about like 20 feet away. And she started being clear. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> wow. She's gorgeous. Yeah, like that, Pastor Victor, just like that. And I, 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 I won't forget this moment. She, she walks on. And, and I won't forget this moment because I'm sitting there a bawling mess. And she's not crying at all. <laughs> I'm like, do you love me? <laughs> like, and what's really irritating about it is if you know my wife, she's a crier. Like, she'll cry at a bird dying, but she won't cry on her wedding day. I'm so confused. So we, get, we get to this moment. She, you know, you have, it's, it's a special thing. It's a, a, your wedding day is going to be a special thing. You're going to sit there and, and, and you're going to have this moment. And I'm sitting there and her father's there. And the pastor says, who, you know, who gives this woman to be with this man? And he said, her mother and I. And they prayed over us. And it was special. And she came up. and Beautiful ceremony. It was really awesome. We videotaped it. Never watched it. Probably never will. But. There's this moment in every wedding that's so significant where you have both parties sitting and looking at one another and the pastor begins to go through the vows. And he begins to say, okay, look, I want you to, I want you to look your spouse to be in the eye. And I want you to vow that in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, in death and life, like, you're going to be faithful. You're going to be faithful. And in most weddings, there are these two simple little words that they ask you to say to your spouse. And then you're going to pledge yourself to them. And it simply is, I do. That was, that was good. That was a sweet moment. <laughs> I do. And I, I'll, never forget, I'll never forget sitting there making vows to my wife. I don't remember what I said. I know it was good stuff. And, but I remember saying, I do. And, and here's the thing. The moment I said those words, two things were communicated. Two things were communicated. One, that I am pledging myself to the most beautiful woman on the planet in my eyes for a lifetime with her. And two, that I am saying I don't to every other woman. Are you with me? Two things happen. I am pledging myself to my bride and, and, and conversely and simultaneously saying I don't to every other woman. I'm saying nobody else but you. There will be no other woman before you at all, period. And I, I, I want to take a, a quick detour from this just to make a comment on marriage to you as young people, okay. Because this is no small thing. Look at me. There's going to be a day where you're going to get married. Hopefully. Okay. Hopefully. 
and the, the way our culture is moving right now, they've institutionalized this relationship. They've taken it and they said, hey, look, listen. Like, this relationship exists for your pleasure. I had to write an article this week in one of my classes. I'm taking a class on the theology of the family. And I had to find an, art, an article written from somebody in, w- w- within this time frame that, that has an unbiblical worldview of the family. And the title of the article was this. Is there a such thing as ethical cheating? As ethical cheating. And so the, the, the article is written where a, a, a young man who is on his third marriage, on his third marriage was making the case that the, the predominant reality of one man and one woman being married together for a lot and being faithful to one another just doesn't work for society anymore. And the reality is like men and women need to begin to grasp this and, and society needs to begin to grasp it that, you know, like we need to shift from this. And we need to begin to really start entering into like, hey, just be with the person that makes you feel the best about yourself. Despite whether you make a covenant with them or not. And I need you to hear me tonight. You want to know why the church, why believers fight so hard for this relationship? Fight so hard for this to be between a man and a woman. Fight so hard for a lifetime of faithfulness. is because it exists for the sole reason of the world to see this is an image of God and his people. That in the, in the pledging of each other, but by me telling my wife, I do to you and I don't to everybody else is the same way. Our God said, I do to you and I don't to anyone else. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to hold up my end of the covenant to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. And I'm not going to do it for anybody. I'm going to do it for you. And the second we begin to devalue this and say, you know what, this really just exists for my benefit. You've missed the gospel. You've missed the gospel. And I I would go as far as to say, like, think about the ramifications of what it means if Jesus did that to you. The second you stop pleasing him, you walked away. That would not be good news. Brothers and sisters, marriage is a gift from the Lord for this very reason. This very reason. We get to be a beacon of hope to the world. And I'm just going to be straight up with you. Marriage is not all sunshine and rainbows. (laughs) Many times it's like dark alleys and storm clouds. (laughs) Like... You can't stand the person you live with sometimes. <laughs> I love you, sweetheart, wherever you are in this room. You, you don't. But that's not the point. That's not the point. And, and the reality is if, if you're a follower of Christ in here, you know this. Walking with Jesus isn't always sunshine and rainbows. It's not. It's hard. It's hard. It's difficult. It's difficult. But we have to see this. When he's saying, look at me, you shall have no other gods before me. I'm asking you, I'm calling you to be faithful to me and me alone. And to be faithful to me means you will not be faithful anywhere else. You're faithful to me. I'm pledging myself to you. And in pledging myself to you, I'm asking you to pledge yourself to me. Are you with me tonight? So you have God entering into the scene here saying, look, all of this mindset that you've had of several gods out there, I'm going to break that. I'm the only God. You will be faithful to nobody else. I am your God. You are my people. I am saying I do to you. You are to say I do to me. You with me tonight? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's simple. Second commandment. This one gets a little bit more funky, but it's kind of fun. The first commandment calls us to exclusively be loyal and have allegiance to Yahweh. Are you with me? Be faithful to nobody else. Be faithful to God. 
It's exclusive. You are to exclusively worship God himself. So if the first commandment is calling us to exclusively worship God, what we have in the second commandment is how to properly worship God. I want you to follow me here tonight. In the first commandment we have, we want you to exclusively worship God. In the second commandment you have, we are going to properly worship God. Let me explain this, okay. So second commandment we have him saying, thou shall not make for yourselves any idols. But there are two things that he's saying in this passage. One, that yes, he doesn't want you making idols of any other gods. But also that he doesn't want any physical idols being made of himself. I want you to, I want you to track with me here. He doesn't want any physical idols made of himself. Now there's a reason for this. Because they just came out of Egypt, okay, and they're having a moment where they're going, okay, wait, we, we, we've been used to worshiping all of these other gods and all of these other gods have a specific thing about them that they're over. So whether it's over fertility, whether it's over the harvest, whether it's over the sun, the moon, the weather, whatever it's going to look like. And so what they would do when they would, when they would create these gods is they give them an image. And say, so, okay, this is what the God looks like. And what we're going to do in that image is we're going to say, okay, this is what they are over. So we're going to ascribe an attribute to them. So we got... Think of Greek mythology, you got like Zeus who's the god of thunder or god of lightning, whatever it is. Okay, and so he's got like this lightning bolt. Okay, and so what you have here is is you've got all of these, all these kind of shifts of like this is what it looks like for us to worship a god. And what they do is they create it, they domesticate it. And they kind of tame the god. And it was a way of them saying, okay, this is how we kind of have a controlled mind over the god that we're worshiping. And you have God here saying, no, no, no. That's not going to be the case with me. And here's why. Because I am the creating God, not a created God. Are you with me? I am the creating God, not a created God. You cannot limit me to a sphere or a force or an attribute of creation because I am supreme over all of it. All of it. I am the all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, sovereign, supreme God. You're not going to limit me to this space. To properly worship me means to understand that you know I am limitless and I am formless. This is who I am as the supreme God. He's saying, don't, don't, don't try to corral me. Don't try to retain me. Don't try to command me. Don't try to control me. I'm the creating God, not the created God. Understand who you're worshiping. I'm over it all. I'm over it all. You need to cry out for it to rain. You cry out to me. You need to cry out for healing. You cry out to me. You, need, you want to cry out for restoration and provision or redemption. You cry out to me. I am the only God. You're not going to create some image that puts me here in a box. This is what it means to be God, Yahweh. He's over it all. Are you with me tonight? So he's teaching them, look, to properly worship me is not to put me in a box. It's to understand that I'm the God over it all. And secondly is to understand that you are not to create any other idols of any other gods and worship them. So we have this moment where God's going, look, you're going to be faithful to me. You're going to look to me, which means that you got to forsake everything else. And as we begin to walk through the Old Testament, we know that like Israel is pathetic beyond pathetic with this. While he's giving this commandment, they're creating a golden calf. Like while he is speaking, they're like, mm, like, 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 that might have been one of the dumbest things I've done, but still. Like Israel's being dumb, it's worthy of the moment. Like they're, they're creating a golden calf. You keep walking through the Old Testament, they begin to worship Baal. They begin to worship Asherah. They begin to, to shift their attention and create these idols. He's going, no, 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 no. You will not make any other idols. You're not going to put any other deity in some form and worship it. And here's the thing. I want you to notice this. We look back on the Old Testament And it is so easy to look at them and go, you guys are the most unintelligent beings on the planet earth. You literally just watch God separate the Red Sea. 
you literally watched him lead you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Like if there were ever a question in one's mind, does God exist? Israel had the proof to go, yeah. (laughs) And yet, and yet, while their God is talking on a mountain, they're like, let's make the Chick-fil-A mascot out of gold. And, and he's like, no. And, and here's the thing. When Israel does this, when Israel begins to worship an idol and forsake their faithfulness to God, it's overt. It's blatant. We all can see it. Hear me. But when we do it, it's very subtle. Very subtle. Very subtle. Now you, you might not be creating a golden calf in your room. If you are, that's weird. <laughs> we need to talk after service. But our hearts do become enticed by things like wealth, power, status, sex, politics, ideologies, systems, the self. And you might not be decorating a golden calf, but you are decorating and praising yourself way too much. And it's subtle. And yet we're all guilty of it in this room. Of making idols and taking idols and turning them into things that are not their position. And I remember my pastor made a statement to me one day that I'll never forget. He asked me the question, he goes, hey, hey Tim, where do idols come from? And I sat there and was like, felt like a trick question, you know. And I was like, uh. So immediately I went to Golden Calf and I was like, we take gold or (laughs) metal and make us. And he goes, no, no, no. He said, idols are gifts from God. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, listen to me. Idols are gifts from God. And what they are, they're they're gifts from God that we take and we begin to control and try to maintain apart from God. We begin to think that we have sovereignty and lordship over apart from God. And we begin to make much of that gift from God more than God himself. And brothers and sisters, we're all guilty of this. And so when we look at Israel, we can go, you idiots, it's a cow. Why would you worship a cow? We can sit here today and say, look at the world around you. Look at how captivated our world is with the most insignificant things. Look at how captivated our world is with wealth. Look how captivated our world is with influence. Look how captivated our world is with self-image. You literally have probably like five social media platforms where you're communicating yourself to the world. We love it. We're enslaved to it. And it's easy to look at Israel and go, man, they just like missed it. They keep missing God even though he's blatantly right in front of them. And tonight's a night where I'm praying to God that he unveils your eyes to see. We're all guilty of the same thing. And we create these idols out of desires for security, out of desires for affection, out of desires for love, for significance, any one of those things. And all of those things come from the lie that we don't have any of that in the person of Christ. And what God is telling his people here is, look, I'm enough. I'm enough. I will always be enough. All that you need is in me. All that you should ever want is in me. I'll take care of you. I'm pledging myself to you. I'm pledging myself to you. And as we're going to walk through the rest of this series, you're going to begin to see like this is the theme of the Ten Commandments. Can I go ahead and have the band come up here? This is the theme of the Ten Commandments. Where we sit and we talk about, okay... 
what, is, what, is, what does this mean? What does it mean to, 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 to walk with Jesus and to live this life? It's embracing Jesus. And, it, and here's the deal. As we walk through the Old Testament and as we're going to watch how Israel dealt with all of this stuff, you're going to see that the bent towards rebellion runs very, very deep. Look at me. But God's faithfulness is deeper still. That's the good news. That's the good news. Can you stand with me tonight? I know it's easy, easy for us to sit here and go, okay, Lord, where have I put other gods before you? Where have I been unfaithful to you? And here's, here's, here's what I want you to do tonight. I, this, like I said, this series is not to guilt you. It's not to shame you. It's not to call out everything that you're doing wrong. It primarily is to show you how Jesus did everything right. Hubba. It's to show you how Jesus did everything right. It's to show you that we have a holy God. And the good news of the gospel is not that you are creating your own holiness by trying to fulfill these commandments. The good news of the gospel is that the imputed righteousness of God, of Jesus, has been given to you through faith in Christ. So that when God looks at you, he sees the holiness of his son. And when we get that, when you taste it, you begin to see that grace, grace is, is not just like a, a license to sin. Grace is this empowering force inside you to be holy holy, to walk as Jesus walked, walk as Jesus walked. You know, you can do good things in your life till you're blue in the face, but if they're not done for the purpose of seeing Jesus, it's worthless, worthless. It's, it's for the sake of seeing a faithful God in the midst of our brokenness, that we look at this text, we talk through the Ten Commandments and say, this is what it means to be the people of God. This is what it means to be the pe people of God. So what I want you to do is I want you to bow your head. I want to ask you a couple questions. Simple questions. And they're not going to be, okay, have you made any idols or have you... Put any, any gods before God. I already know the answer to that. But I want you to, I want you to take a moment to like self-reflect. And I want you to ask yourself, are there any areas in your life where you limit God? Where you have made the mistake of putting confines around him. And, and, and putting him in this corner and saying, okay, God, here's the deal. Like, I understand you to be like the Lord of this area. Your love, your compassion, or your power can really only go this far. Is there areas of your life where you've put a limit on God? Where you've put God in a box? Is there an area of your life where you've compartmentalized God to? Is he the God over everything in your life? Is he the God of your, over your attitude? Is he the God over your relationships? Is he the God over yourself? Is he the God over your circumstances? Or has he simply just been put to an area and said, he's the one that kind of occupies the space of my religion. And the one who say, I, I believe him, but in reality, he only has his corner. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there anything in your mind that God can't do? Is there anything in your mind that you're saying, you know what, like, 
there's just no way. There's no way. And I'm not asking you to get all philosophical on me of like, well, yeah, can he lift a boulder too big for him to carry? Like, no, none of that. Is there something in your life that you've stopped praying and asking God for because you genuinely don't believe that he'll answer? Have you stopped believing that he's all-powerful, he's supreme, he's Lord over all? Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Are there areas in your life where you can be honest and say, I'm being an unfaithful, unfaithful bride here. I'm being unfaithful to a God who's pledged himself to me. In the Old Testament, we are given the name of God, and it's given to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh, Yahweh. What this simply means is that he is the God who was and is and is to come. I understand and I know whether you admit it or not, that our bent towards rebellion runs deep in this room. But God's faithfulness is deeper still. And I want you to receive that as good news tonight. That no matter how broken you are in here, how messed up you are in here, God's faithfulness is deeper still. His faithfulness is deeper still. And he's pursuing you all the more in the midst of it. So I'm going to let the band lead us in this sweet song, singing the name of God, singing the name of God. And I just simply want you to give him your attention. Let there be no other gods that compete with him right now. Let there be no other thoughts that compete with him right now. Give your attention to Yahweh. And invite him to captivate your life, to saturate your life, to consume your life. And let him show you that he is enough. That he's enough. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.